Well, it's true that Jesus was a storyteller, and the Gospels, of course, are full of Jesus' stories. These stories are alive in the same way that the truth is alive. As the late Fred Buechner writes, truth can never be caught in any doctrine or creed, including our own, because it will never stay still. It's always moving and shifting like air. Not even our words can contain the truth. Truth beckons us in different ways and comes to us from different directions. And so whenever we see Jesus teaching in the Gospels, he doesn't sound a lot like St. Paul or John Calvin. Instead, he just tells stories. Jesus' stories point to the truth, the truth about who God is and the truth about who you are and who I am. When Jesus tells a story, you see, we are the ones that get mugged. And we are the ones who pass by pretending not to notice the one who got mugged. And we're even the ones who sometimes pay a ton of money to get that person some help. But the point is, when Jesus tells a story, he's talking about us. And so this morning, when we turn to the Gospel of Luke, we find Jesus surrounded by a whole variety of folks like us. Jesus, the 12 disciples, and of course many other disciples, they're making their way to Jerusalem, and a growing crowd is traveling with them as well. This is a crowd full of sinners and tax collectors and ne'er-do-wells, just like us. Most recently, you see Jesus healed a man on his way, to enjoying a big Sabbath day steak dinner with the leader of the Pharisees, and that went over very poorly. But before that, Jesus had already allowed a woman that they all considered sinful to wash his feet with her hair. He'd already traveled to the other, sea, to the other side of the sea to liberate a Gentile man in chains. He'd already touched a leper. He'd already eaten with a lot of tax collectors. He'd already hung out with the outcast and forgiven all sorts of riffraff, otherwise, otherwise excluded from the temple according to the laws of the Torah. But of course, in typical Jesus fashion, instead of retreating or turning down his rhetoric, he tells three stories, and we are going to read two of them. You can turn to Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 10. It's page 953 in your pew Bible. Listen now for the word of the Lord. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So Jesus told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country, and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance? Or what woman, having 10 silver coins, 
If she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Look, I love cashmere and money as much as the next lady, but this is not a sermon about sheep and coins. All the sinners and all the tax collectors gather near Jesus to listen, along with various disciples and friends and Pharisees and priests. But if you have ever seen a flock of sheep, it's extremely hard to separate them out. In fact, farmers will mark the fleece of their sheep with spray paint in order to keep them all straight. And here's the point. If you're going to hang around Jesus, you can expect the lines to be very blurry. After all, at least one of the disciples was a tax collector, and at least one, if not all of them, had been sinners. And Jesus was addressing all sorts of people in the crowd. And he doesn't call any of them sinners. He calls them lost. Lost like sheep. Lost like a coin. Lost. Lost like the man in the dry cleaners who told me the other day that he had just retired from one of the banks and now he's questioning his purpose and his place in the world. Lost like a student who is overwhelmed by anxiety and depression and refuses to ask for help. Lost, like the three teenagers I saw last week huddled in an ATM booth shooting drugs into their arms. They were clean cut. They had khakis and polo shirts and baseball hats on. Lost, like a couple is caught in a dysfunctional pattern of fighting that leaves them both feeling ashamed and alone. Lost, like the man screaming and gesturing from his pickup truck while passing me on the inside lane going 100 miles per hour down I-85. His bumper was pasted with cruel and hostile messages of hate. Lost, like a sheep, like a coin. We all know what it means to be lost. No service, out of range, disconnected, beyond earshot. These days, we've all been a little bit lost. And I don't mean lost like damned for eternity lost. I mean beyond the fold. As George Buttrick writes, beyond the fold of true blessedness, detached from the currency of true service, away from the home of God's presence. Have you been away from the home of God's presence? You see, we've been busy, lost in the moment, waiting, worrying, rehabbing, making plans, fighting, stewing, making up, catching up, regrouping, assessing our schedules, prioritizing our lives, starting over, selling, buying, moving, growing, healing, grieving, traveling, working. We've been busy. But most of us have gotten most of our lives back on track. And yet here we all are. Many of us searching, 
longing to find a deeper truth in a better way. And many of us are carrying an unspoken desire to be found, to be whole, to be at peace, to be together, to be at home, to be in God's presence. And I know that we all grew up in different households and different types of faith communities with different teachings about sin and repentance. But at the end of the day, sin, in the ancient Greek language at least, means to miss the mark. It's to live your life as if you were the center of the universe. Sin is anything that denies God's peace and love and joy and justice and grace for all of God's creation. Sin is anything that separates us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And so when we repent, we let go of all of that. We turn back. We turn to God in trust and in faith. When we repent, we head home. But here's the thing about these stories. Coins don't repent. Sheeps don't turn back. The coin was lost at the hand of its keeper. It was simply found. And it doesn't seem like the sheep had a big aha moment. Sheep are kind of dumb. But they were both found. You know, sweeping a dirt floor in the dark, that can't be easy work. And wandering in the wilderness in pursuit of a single sheep would take an enormous amount of effort and resources and time and patience. They were lost, and then they were found. And I'll tell you what, it's hard enough to find one coin or one sheep, but y'all should look around the sanctuary. Jesus has been busy, y'all. Things have changed. I've changed. You all have changed. We've all changed. Folks ask me all the time, how are things going at Selwyn Avenue Presbyterian Church? They think they want to know how many people are coming to worship and youth group and Sunday school. But I want to tell them about the handshakes and the casseroles and the jazz music and the baptisms and our mission partners at Montclair. I want to tell them that we're remembering what it's like to be known and loved and valued and celebrated for the sheer sake of our togetherness in Christ. And maybe even more than that, we're remembering how important it is to know and love and value, celebrate, and celebrate other people in the name of Christ. I want to tell them that we're all just finding our way home. Now, some of you out there in the pews, you look around and you see people that you know and you love. And some of you, you see folks you sort of know, but you can't remember their names. And some of you had the courage to walk in here this morning and you don't know a single solitary soul. Our lines are blurry, and yet it's hard enough to find one sheep. What sort of God is this? What sort of God would leave the one here in this sanctuary, make his way out the front doors of the narthex, take a right or a left down Selwyn Avenue, and for the last several months round up the 99, to bring them back to church. What kind of God seeks us out like that? The Greek word for church, ecclesia, it means those who have been called out. The church was really never the disciples' idea. They were called from their boats and their tax booths and their homes. 
each one called by name. What sort of God is this? Well, remember that time when you were in vacation Bible school and you were a kid and they showed you a picture of the good shepherd and the lost sheep and Jesus had blue eyes and blonde hair and he wore a snowy white robe and he was gently carrying a downy white lamb in his arms across a green meadow. That's not what sort of God this is. You see, flocks, flocks stick together. And sheep, they have extremely tight family ties. And that little lamb would never have made it out of earshot, not really, because we keep our lambs close. Therefore, we best consider a gnarly, fully grown, smelly sheep like one of us. And let us also consider that when sheep do wander, it's typically because they are afraid. Sheep wander because they sense danger. And most often it is fear that drives us into the wastelands of our lives. While there have been plenty of reasons to be afraid over these last several years, the one who seeks us and finds us and saves us is not a blue-eyed, blonde-haired, milk-toast sap monger. God is like the landowner, strong-willed, pragmatic, persistent, unafraid to get his hands dirty, refusing to let even one of us go. God refuses to let you go. And for what? Why would God pursue us with this sort of extravagant, senseless, tenacious concern? Well, the scripture asks, which among you wouldn't leave your 99 sheep in search of the one? And if we're honest, which I think we all are, the answer is none of us would leave the 99 to go get the one. That would be foolish and impulsive. It would not be a good use of our money, Andy Sontag. Most of us would hedge our bets and cut our losses and we would protect the 99 that we have. But thank God, God is not like us. The landowner risks it all when it comes to one of his own. He would pay any price. And you see, the human flock is all God's flock, as Buttrick would say. Of course, we'd rather not acknowledge or admit that, but if you want to hang around Jesus, you can expect the lines to be blurry. And that is precisely why I suspect a fearful sheep might get lost in the first place. But every sheep is precious, just the same. And God risks everything for the one who is lost, even God's son on the cross. And for what? To bring that one home back into the fold of love and grace and joy and peace, back into the presence of the Holy One? Does he tie a rope around the sheep's neck and drag it? Does he throw the sheep into a wheelbarrow? Does he berate and shame the sheep and guilt the sheep for getting lost? Does he herd him with a whip of some sort? No. The landowner lays the sheep on his shoulder and joyfully carries it home. And then, and this is the good part, and then 
He calls his friends and his neighbors and celebrates. He throws a party. He hires a jazz band. He prepares a feast with fried chicken and bread and wine. And he says, rejoice with me for I have found my precious sheep that was lost. And this is what it means to be in the presence of God. You are known. You are loved. You have been found. Welcome home. Amen. Friends, this is a table of feasting. At this table, you are welcomed home. This is a table of nourishment and of grace, a table that stretches so wide that there is a seat for everyone. So you are invited. Come with your doubts, come with your hopes, come with your flaws and come with your strengths. Come for this is a table where all are invited and all are welcome. Following our prayer together this morning, we will participate in communion by intinction you will be invited to come down the center aisle to receive the elements and then return using the side aisles. If you are on the lectern side, you will return using the front pew. If you would like to be served in your seat, please raise your hand so one of our elders can come to you. And if you would like gluten-free elements, please come to the pulpit side line. Friends, let us pray. God of grace and God of glory, this morning we come to table to be fed and renewed, forgiven and put back together. And yet the world around us heaves with violence and war that seems to never end. Assure us, O oh God, that our mourning will be no more. We pray for those whose lives were forever changed on September 11th. Grant comfort to those who grieve. Strengthen those who struggle with questions that remain unanswered. Assure those who worry that they should have said or done something different, that you gather up all the fragments of our lives. You bless them and you use them in ways that nourish. We thank you, Lord of all, for the people who every day put their lives in danger in order to protect and serve. For first responders and medical professionals, police officers and firefighters, and others who never know what a shift at work will bring on a given day. Grant them wisdom and courage and rest. As people of faith, we dare to pray for a better, more, and just world, claiming your love in Jesus Christ that welcomes and includes all creation. Hear us as we pray, especially for refugees and the houseless adults and children in our community, political leaders working towards peace and harmony all who strive to save the earth from devastation and destruction. You are holy, God of majesty, and your spirit is everywhere, guiding us to beauty, truth, and goodness. As our year rolls into fall, we re-embrace work and school routines. We praise you for the many ways you show up, even when we are distracted or lost. You make all things new, O oh God. And we pray for the renewal of our world, the healing of wounds, the righting of wrongs, and the strengthening of your people. 
pour out your Holy Spirit upon us and upon these your gifts of bread and wine, that the bread we break together and the cup we share together shall retell our common stories together and reshape our common bonds together and remember our common grace together. In the communion of the body and blood of your Son, Jesus Christ, the one in whose life and death you have torn down our divisions. And so may we be ones who share in this feast with all of your children at every corner of your table. May we share this abundant bread with those who hunger for righteousness. May we be united with every single person. And may we share this cup with those who thirst for your justice. United in hope, united in vision, and united in purpose. We pray all these things in the one who died for us and rose for us, the one who prays for us, and the one who taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Friends, on the night of Jesus' arrest, he took the bread, he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples and said, Take and eat. And do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup. And he told his disciples that this is the cup of the new covenant, sealed with my blood for the forgiveness of your sins. Every time you drink of this cup, you do so in remembrance of me. Friends, every time you eat this bread and you drink of this cup, do so in remembrance of Jesus Christ our Savior. All things are ready. Come forward to the table of the Lord. Oops.
the body of Christ broken for you, the cup of salvation. Christy, the body of Christ broken for you, the cup of salvation. Let us stand as we say together the prayer of thanksgiving found in your bulletin. Holy Father, with open arms, you welcome us home with a feast. This celebration is not deserved, and so we give you thanks. Together we abide in you. Let your joy be found in us, that our joy may be complete as we run to greet and embrace those who long to come home to you. Amen. Amen. Friends, our God is generous, so let us give and live generously in response to that. For what God has done for all of us, let us now present our tithes and our offerings to the Lord.
Let us now dedicate these gifts and gratitude to God using our printed prayer of dedication. Let us pray. We rejoice and give you thanks, O God, for the lost have been found, sinners have received mercy, and the dead have been restored to life. Send us out in your service to tend your sheep and to show the riches of your grace. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Let us continue now with hymn number 649. surpasses all understanding, seek you out and find you and dwell in your heart and bring you home again. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and forevermore. Amen. <laughs> 